0: I have an important question for you. It's, it's a basic question. And even as I ask it of myself, I have two levels of answers. What are you fighting for right now? What are you fighting for right now? What policy? What law? What way to handle this pandemic? What are you fighting for? Now, on a natural level, I understand that you're fighting for yourself, that you're fighting for your family, and that during a pandemic you're fighting to survive. But I need to teach you a lesson today. Right now, all over the country, in every city, in every county, in every state, in Congress, in state legislatures, they are passing laws and policies. And if we don't have input in them, if we don't have a voice, if we don't have a say If they think we're checked out, those policies are not going to be for us, they're not going to benefit us, but they're going to be paid for by us, with our taxes, with debt, for years and years to come. Today, I want to present to you a key policy that we need to be fighting for in every city, every county, every state. We need to be asking everybody to do this or else we're going to start seeing a homelessness spike unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime. Let me unpack and explain it. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the Breakdown. The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. I know that it's politically incorrect to even be frustrated with Democrats, but Democrats, particularly Democrats in Congress, have done so little. And the only bill that passed, the the, the CARE Act and some emergency relief bills, were basically Republican bills written by Republicans in the Senate, preferred by Donald Trump, and had so little in there for everyday people, that right now people are still hurting and Congress is on now a 45-day vacation, which is outrageous in the middle of a global pandemic. And a lot of it is because when, excuse my language, when shit hits the fan, so many of us understandably Begin having to protect and fight and defend ourselves that we fail to understand that people in power are about to make significant policies that sometimes impact us in profound ways. Today, I want to talk to you about a policy that should have been in any congressional bill that should be passed on the city level, the state level, the county level it should have been the foundation of everything we were all fighting for there was a brand new report that just came out and it shows extraordinary bipartisan support for a ban on evictions foreclosures and suspending and forgiving i need to i need to emphasize that and we'll talk about it more in a second suspending and forgiving rent and mortgage payments during the coronavirus crisis. See, the primary strategy to flatten the curve and to prevent the spread of the coronavirus continues to be staying home and sheltering in place. That's the case all over the world. If, if you can stay home and in places and in, in countries in cities all over, all over this country, but all around the world, where people were able to stay home and shelter in place they were able to flatten the growth that's when we say flatten the curve the ever growing number of cases some places didn't really didn't even have a curve to flatten i mean they flattened it right away california is almost one of those places but this strategy of trying to say to everybody hey please please stay home it doesn't work If people can't afford a place to stay, the impact of the pandemic is making housing even more precarious for the millions of people across the country who've been struggling to make rent or pay the mortgage since long before the current crisis even began. And a new report that was just published on April 14th, a brand new report by our friends at Data for Progress and the Justice Collaborative Institute shows that an astoundingly large majority of voters from both political parties support, number one, halting evictions and foreclosures and freezing rent and mortgage payments and forgiving them in the face of the pandemic. This is universal. The polling shows broad bipartisan support for an expansive set of assistance programs for renters for homeowners, and for people experiencing homelessness. And according to the survey, voters support the following measure for as long as there is a state of emergency. 81% of people support a ban on evictions, saying nobody should be evicted. And shame on the 19% of Americans who say, yeah, it's damn right you should evict people. 84% of people support a ban on foreclosures. Seventy six percent of Americans. This when you get in above seventy five percent, you are talking about a a plurality, a majority of Americans from both political parties. Seventy six percent of Americans support a suspend and forgive rent program under which the government, not the renter, would compensate landlords for lost rental income. Seventy eight percent of voters So uh, of not of voters, but of Americans support a suspend and forgive mortgage payment program. Seventy nine percent of people support a ban on rent increases. Eighty percent of people support a sliding scale rental assistance program that provides direct payments to tenants to ensure people can pay their rent. Eighty three percent of people support rental assistance to um, to Americans experiencing homelessness and eighty seven percent of Americans support government assistance to nonprofit housing providers to ensure that those providers are able to continue providing stable housing to their tenants. In other words, nearly 80% of Americans or more support basically every measure being proposed to make sure people's rent and mortgage is covered and to make sure nobody's homeless and nobody loses in this moment. Current federal and state proposals simply don't go far enough to ensure that everybody has affordable housing, which if we all want to stay safe, has to be a right for all, not just a privilege for some. The government plans, this is a quote from uh, uh, Rachel Godsell. Rachel said, the government plans that have passed thus far to keep people in their homes all fail to properly protect people who will be struggling financially, not just right now, But in the many months after the crisis ends, she is the primary author of the report and a professor at Rutgers Law School, and she is the director of research and co-founder of the Perception Institute. She's just a brilliant scholar. She goes on to say, government actors must seize on this broad bipartisan support to take the bold action needed to ensure that everyone, including homeowners, renters and landlords, Are protected. Listen to me. We see from this report, and the data is clear that people need the support, people want the support, and there is massive bipartisan support at a time where most Republicans and Democrats can't agree on anything. They agree that people need to be supported in their housing during this crisis. But we have to fight for it. It's only going to happen if we fight for it. The report follows recent news that one-third of apartment renters didn't pay their rent in the first week of April, which is a growing trend that mirrors the more than 22 million jobless claims which are increasing every week over this past month. Jurisdictions around the country are exploring all types of measures to offer protection to renters and homeowners and landlords. But the temporary nature of many of those proposals, basically saying, um, yeah, we won't evict you. But in two months or three months, and if, say, your rent's $5,000 a month, you're going to owe us $20,000. You're going to owe us $15,000. That your rent's going to accrue and accrue and accrue. Nobody's going to be able to pay that in three months. Nobody. And according to the report, all groups within the government's reach can and should be protected through fair, reasonable and available solutions. As of 2018, this is before the coronavirus, there were more than 38 million people in the United States at or below the poverty line. 38 million people. More than 16 million renters are cost burdened. That means they spend over a third of their salary on rent. And these numbers in the face of the coronavirus are exploding. And what we need, we need policies on the city level, on the county level, on the federal level that that clearly fight and provide for everyday people to make sure that nobody is lost. Listen, in New York right now, there is a 90-day state-mandated halt to evictions and a suspension of mortgage payments for borrowers who face financial hardships related to the coronavirus. But most states don't have that yet. They're not protecting renters from eviction. In Connecticut, Colorado, and Maine, Others are still allowing eviction orders to be filed in spite of the pandemic. All over the country, we see this. But here's the thing. States are well positioned to take much bolder measures to address the crisis. And because there's an enormous wealth gap between the top 1% and everybody else in this country, what we see is there are few people at the very top who are able to ride this out and everybody else is struggling. What we could use right now to fund our way through this is a wealth tax on the richest 5% of Americans or even a wealth tax on the top 1% of the top 1%. A crisis mansion tax addresses the concerns of both renters and small landlords and distributes the burden to those who can afford to shoulder it. This mansion tax that many people are talking about could be applied to existing single family owner occupied homes over a certain dollar value. It, you know, people who are able to carry this burden are going to need to carry it. In the conclusion of the report, Professor Godsell says with respect to renters, And those who rely upon rent for their economic well being, current solutions only create future crises that we're going to have to solve. And she continues Solutions are available, listen to me, that have wide bipartisan support. She says, We have a country with wide gaps in income. And if ever there was a time for the 1% to be asked to help to provide for the rest, To ensure we can all navigate this pandemic, the time is now. Listen, before we go today, right after the break, I want to give us a reminder of something that happened five years ago this week. Be right back. It's the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, breakdown, break it down now. Five years ago and on some level it's hard to believe that it was five years ago and on another level it seems it seems like a lifetime ago five years ago this week in Baltimore a young brother who was bothering nobody named Freddie Gray was wrongly arrested and I need to remind us in case you forgot Freddie Gray committed no crime, made no mistake, and police were just in the community in Baltimore, as they have done for generations, harassing people, just trying to figure out who they could arrest today, which is what police do all over this country, often because they have arrest quotas, because their supervisors encourage them to arrest a certain number of people per day. They go to black and brown communities, marginalized communities, and just figure out who they can arrest. And Freddie Gray saw the police staring at him over and over and over again and was weirded out by it and decided to leave. And when police saw Freddie Gray leaving, they walked over, brutally arrested him. And for the life of me, and I I watched every video available hundreds and hundreds of times I don't know if Freddie was seriously injured before he was put in the back of a police van but it appears that when they arrested him and had a bike smashed over top of Freddie, it appears he was injured in some kind of way during the arrest because as they Begin to carry Freddie to the police van, he is moaning in pain. Now, being arrested can be painful just in general, but he seems to be, in, to me, in some type of acute pain during the arrest. Whatever the case, when they locked him in the back of that van and then drove what's called a rough ride all over the city, where... They lock your legs, shackle them to the van, but then drive the van rough where your body is swinging all over the back of the van. By the time they finished, Freddie Gray's spine had been severed. He was in a coma. He never woke up from and died in the hospital. Marilyn Mosby, who was and still is, the district attorney, they call it the state's attorney there in Baltimore, boldly prosecuted the officers. But it was a difficult case. I'm glad that she prosecuted them. No officer ultimately was held accountable, but it wasn't for lack of trying on her part. It was a difficult case, and you know, had any officers really been willing to to, to honestly, earnestly participate in the prosecution, maybe she could have gotten convictions but all we know is that Freddie Gray, five years ago this week, lost his life for nothing, really for, for the new Jim Crow, for, the, for this country to be the incarceration nation. We have to make more and more Freddie Grays. It's a math thing that when you have millions and millions of people Now nearly 12 million people a year who are arrested and sent through jails and prisons every year in this country. It's so many people that you're going to have a Freddie Gray. You're going to have a Sandra Bland. You're going to have an Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. You're going to have a Michael Brown and a Tamir Rice and an Eric Garner. And some of what we have to do is figure out how we drastically lower just the number of interactions between police and people in our communities. I'm thinking today of Freddie's family, of people in Baltimore who continue to be harassed by police even during the coronavirus pandemic, and people all over this country who continue to fight against police brutality and fight against this country being the incarceration nation. Listen, I've got to run, but of course I want to thank Willis our senior producer of this podcast and every episode of this podcast thank our podcast director Lysandra. Uh, thank Micah Thank the the brilliant brilliant team at the Justice collaborative and everybody who assists with this podcast take care everybody break it down the break the break the break, 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 break If you have thyroid eye disease and itchy eyes have you itching for a fight, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com.